When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and you're listening to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I'm going to be replaying a session from our 2020 mental health retreat. If you would like to listen to the full episode and watch the video from the session without any ads, sign up to Patreon today. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Dr. Caroline Leaf. The link will also be in the show notes. One more note before we begin. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please consult with your personal physician if you have any medical questions. And now, on to today's episode. Before we dive into today's podcast, I want to tell you about an exciting new project, one many of you have been asking for, which is now open for enrollment, my NeuroCycle Certified Facilitator Program. This program is a four-day in-person training with me where you'll learn the fundamentals of my theory and the neurocycle so you can use these strategies with your clients and to elevate your coaching business or private practice. Our first training is August 3rd through 6th and takes place in Dallas, Texas. When you become a certified facilitator, you'll join our exclusive directory which goes out to hundreds of thousands of people looking for extra help with their mental health. This means that finding clients will become even easier and you'll become part of our private network of facilitators where you can meet and connect with like-minded individuals, get help and have access to many great resources. Spots are extremely limited and already filling up. So if you're interested, just go to neurocycleinstitute.com for more details and to register for our first training. And for just a few days, we're offering 25% off. Just use the code org. 25. That's I-N-A-U-G 25. The link and details will be in the show notes. Okay, you ready for the last session? Are you all okay? Still not, you know, you're not brain dead yet? Need some brain building? Yes, here comes some brain building. Okay, so we've got some, uh, as Max said, sorry, we had this video issue. We're going to, but we go, we're moving a, a really wonderful testimonial to tomorrow morning. Um, and so that'll be very exciting. So we'll end off this evening by learning how to help our children. And you'll see that I build on the previous sessions. So you're getting an idea now of how to use the neuroscience for detoxing and brain building. So I won't go into a lot of depth here, but I'll explain a little bit about how to apply it with children. So practical solutions to help children manage depression, anxiety, and trauma. And childhood depression, who's most affected by it? The science to look out for and how to educate our children about mental health. So childhood sets the stone, that sets the tone, stone, sets the tone. So there are some frightening statistics that I'm going to start with here. One in 12 children struggle with depression at some point between the ages of 9 and 16, with girls more likely affected than boys. Now I want to put a proviso on that, state, that statistic there. Everyone 
battles with anxiety and depression. Every child battles with it. What they're talking about here is extreme depression, where it gets to the you know the heavy ball, where it hasn't, where they've gone through repeated issues that haven't that, that they haven't been able to manage because they for whatever reason, and then it accumulates. So that is why we're seeing one, but that's still a lot, one in 12 children struggling with extreme depression. Unfortunately, depression is a common childhood challenge that often goes, and this is scary, unnoticed by adults, including parents, teachers, and pediatricians. So a horrifying statistic released by the CDC last year indicated that suicide rates in people ages 12, 10 to 24 increased almost 60% between 2007 and two. 2018. Okay, a lot of children, so one in 12 children, it should be coming, I think it's coming up in the next statistic. No, it's not on here, but I'm going to tell you. One in 12 children are being missed. So part of that, that where you, bullet point number two, it's a childhood challenge, often going unnoticed by adults. One in 12 children are being missed by adults. One in 12 children with extreme depression and anxiety are being missed by adults. Okay? And it's not intentional. It's because our systems are set up in a way that we are not, we don't have enough knowledge. It's not being, parents are not being supported enough. There's problems in the education system. There's a whole lot of different reasons, and I'm going to cover some of those reasons. So the next thing is, here's one of the, one of the first reasons why children are being missed and why we've got this massive problem. And it's not that children have never battled with anxiety and depression. It's been since the beginning of time. We've all as humans battled. But there's definitely a pattern where extreme depression is being missed and we need to do something about it. So we live in an era that things have changed a lot between each generation has changes, as we know, but between 96 and 2014, as I mentioned in the previous lecture, there has been a radical shift in how we view humanity. And that shift has become one of a reductionistic shift. So as our knowledge about the brain has increased, we've become very neuro-reductionistic. So everything is about the brain, 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 and the more, more focus on the physical that we are forgetting about our humanity and children are suffering because of this. Adults are suffering because of this. Humanity is suffering because of this. We're not our brain, as we've been hearing all weekend so far. So we've got to realize this with our children. We can't just see a behavior as a symptom of a brain disease, which is kind of an exaggeration, but it's not really an exaggeration. It's kind of what's happening. If we want to be healthier mentally and physically, one of the best things we can possibly do is get several hours of quality sleep every night. The brain and body heal itself when we sleep. It really is one of the most amazing processes, even if you're not conscious when it happens. But I know it's hard to get good quality sleep sometimes. Your mind keeps you awake, life is stressful, and there are often a hundred anxious reasons why you can't fall asleep at night. Thankfully, there are also ways we can improve our sleep quality and overall health, including taking magnesium. Believe it or not, around 75% of people don't have enough magnesium. No wonder so many people have sleep problems. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement you find. Most magnesium supplements use only the two cheapest synthetic forms. And since they're not full spectrum, they won't support better sleeping habits. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium. And you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming, sleep-enhancing effects. 
That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed at how much better you sleep and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash leaf and use Dr. Leaf 10 during checkout to save 10% on your order. The link and details will be in the show notes. So what we see, and and it's a very complex process, so I've tried to make this as simple to understand as possible. Reductionism is when we reduce things down to its parts instead of focusing on the big picture or the holistic approach to being human. And so in our society now, in the last 30, 40 years, there's been much more focus on cognitive intelligence versus emotional intelligence. And you can't separate them. You've got to, they, they basically are two sides of the same coin. When you process and build a thought into the brain, from the, the, as the experience starts, it's a seed in the ground, the roots grow, the trunk grows, the branches grow, the leaves grow. The leaves are the emotions, if for want of an analogy to help you understand this, and the branches are the data. And the roots of the original story also with emotions and data. So therefore, if we now separate out the whole, if we start separating out this tree and breaking it apart, you then start looking at cognitive intelligence versus emotional. And you can't do that. You can't just focus on emotional at the expense of cognitive and vice versa. But we've become much more focused on the cognitive. And that means that rationality, analytical, logical problem solving has become the main focus in education and bringing up a child. Okay, Intellectual and personal information and vocabulary, language and numbers, understanding, these are the things of, that cognitive intelligence lo- um, deals with, and these have become a primary focus. I'm not saying that there's been nothing focused on emotional, but you just think of an average school day that a child goes through. What do they do most of the day? How much time is spent on any kind of emotional intelligence? Any kind of management of these emotions that I'm feeling mean something, and that you're not abnormal if you have an emotion, if you bullied and, you, and, you're, and you're an eight-year-old, you don't have the words to describe how you're feeling. You're going to cry or you're going to get upset or you're going to get angry or you're going to take it out on your, on your sister when you get home or something like that because you don't know how to process it. And then, then if that happens consistently, the child's behaviors become consistent and then they, get, go to the, then they go to some professional and they get labeled and diagnosed and potentially medicated. And that's not how we used to do it. Okay, when I was trained, good side of my training was, because the bad side was, the, was what you heard in the sort of TBI side where we, we didn't focus sufficiently on the, the fact that the brain can change. But what we did do a lot 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, was we worked in a holistic team. So the child was battling. We didn't just automatically think, oh, there's something wrong with their brain. The whole thing was why is the child, what's going on at home? Let's call in the parent. Let's have a discussion with the parent. Let's see if there's something going on with, maybe there's a change, maybe there's a change in diet. There's a, bring in the psychologist, bring in the speech therapist, bring in the whole team, which requires time, effort, and money. It's much quicker to just diagnose, label, and medicate, but that's not the solution. And yes, what I'm saying is very logical. We should have a whole consult, and maybe you're in an environment where your children have 
had that kind of approach taken or maybe that's what you've done automatically but maybe you haven't had time you've been working whatever whatever everyone here is different and got different different reasons but we do live in a system where the focus is not holistic. The focus is on mainly cognitive intelligence. The child's school day is filled with from early hours of the morning, and we'll see the problems that that has in a moment, from early hours of the, from the early hours of the morning with very cognitive stuff. Now, I'm not saying you mustn't do cognitive stuff. Of course not. But you've got to balance it. You've got to bring in cognitive and emotional in the development of a child, and you've got to reconsider what that looks like in a whole picture. So our current education system is really going against the natural functioning of how a child grows up. And for years, I've been trying to, for the last 30 odd years, I worked for 25 years as I mentioned in schools, I would go into schools to try and change that system. When I came to this country, I was utterly horrified when I went into the schools and I asked, where's the library? There was no library in a lot of the schools that I went into. And so we literally created libraries because children need to read. Children need to have access to books. You can't just sit and teach a child math and science and whatever, you've got to balance things out. So it's not very balanced. And you may think it is, but just look at your child's school day if you have children that are school going. So yes, there's always exceptions and I'm talking in general, but the general big picture is not very, it's pretty bleak about the child's school day. So how to use, manage and understand and regulate emotions, that's not being taught. That should be a session, a lesson every single day at school, not just maybe now and then when a problem happens like bullying. You know, there's a big focus on bullying. Yes, that's fantastic, but you can't just deal with that as a, as a one-off thing. You, you can't just work on bullying. You've got to work on a lot of other stuff. There's a whole lot of stuff that that child is going through growing up. And how are we helping them process it? We're not. So if a child doesn't, and a child that's not, that's seven or eight or five or six or seven or eight up to 12, they don't have the language to be able to really express how they're feeling, as I mentioned. And even a 12-year-old battles, and even a 15-year-old battles. There was an interesting study done where they asked if a 13, um, at the, from the 13 through 18-year-olds, um, what is, and it was a very big um, cross-cultural study where they asked 13 to 18-year-olds, and I think those are the exact ages, what is the most important thing that you need? And their answer consistently across cultures and across that age group was to be listened to, which is really interesting. And there were some other findings too. So are we listening to our teenagers? Are we really hearing them? If we're just so focused on, let's finish that academic, let's get you to that extra lesson, let's get you to that homework, let's get you work, 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 and then you know, hot housing and all those kinds of things that we, that we, we refer to um, when we pushing kids too hard, etc. It's a term, hot housing is a term that is used when you fill up every moment of the day constantly trying to increase their intellectual skill. You know, that's from school onto Kumon Mass, onto this extra lesson, onto SAT. When is this child supposed to play and just read? The research shows that that is how the brain will develop properly. That's how this mind-brain-body connection will develop properly. So we've got to get a holistic approach. So society favors cognitive intelligence, favors cognitive intelligence. So this is a societal problem. As we've, I'm not saying tear the whole system down. I'm just saying re-look at it, reconceptualize it, do it differently. Take back, take, keep the good and, and reshift in and rebalance it. It's become very unbalanced in the direction of cognitive um, over emotional. And I don't want it to go the other way where it's emotional over cognitive because that's also not good. It's both. 
balanced, both sides of the coin. So societal, so here are some of the things, um, how society favors cognitive intelligence and fails to emphasize emotional intelligence, how this plays out. One of the first things is societal time expectations. Society has set a timeline for when children and adolescents are supposed to reach and achieve certain milestones. For example, you have to start school at a specific age. You have to graduate at college at 18. You, even if you're not ready, you've got to um, basically... Um, me, me, you, uh, Sorry, society puts such an emphasis on cognitive intelligence that emotional intelligence and taking care of one's own mental health is put aside as children and adolescents try to follow societal expectations. Like it's like you cutting the child in half and like expecting them to survive. We can't do that. We've got to be helping them process what they're going through as they're growing up because every stage that they go through as a child through to adolescence is there's so much that they're experiencing. Did you know that the ages of 12 through 18 is the most difficult part of the entire human life cycle? And we're not doing much to help them through that and to explain that to them. And we're just kind of stepping in when the behavioral problems emerge and the academic problems emerge. And I mean, it's not that this has never happened before. Even when I was practicing in my early days, we did see this starting to happen. And it's always been a problem, but it's become a societal problem now. So... Societal time expectations with a lack, when we don't cultivate emotional well being, children are more prone to negative peer pressure, lack of self confidence, and a lack of developing the grit that will help them get through tough emotional times in their lives as adults. If we don't teach them how to manage every manage the emotions in the moment and that they go into adulthood, which is what these studies are saying, that these children are going into adulthood with unmanaged a lot of suppressed stuff that has been unmanaged. So they, they develop coping mechanisms that aren't very sustainable and that manifest as behavioral problems that are getting labeled more and more as ADD and ADHD and as diseases of the brain and that kind of stuff. So we've got to really watch that. Research is showing that a lack of emphasis on emotional intelligence is leading to a lot of children internalizing their depressive or anxious symptoms because they don't know what they are. There's no one helping them understand them. When I shouldn't say there's no one, I'm sure that there's always someone, but in general, this is what the research is showing and this is what the evidence is presenting itself as. This internalization of those toxic issues that are not being processed are damaging the mind, brain and body, as you've heard me saying all weekend so far. Schools are putting very harsh demands on children. I mean, there's a million facts. When I did this presentation, I thought, oh gosh, I need like the whole the whole conference just for this. So I'm just highlighting certain points because this is a very important area. So here's some other examples. School start, school start times do not correlate with the cycles of cortisol in children and adolescents. So basically... We have what we call, you probably know this, but we have normal diurnal cortisol rhythm. Your cortisol goes up and down. Now, nothing works alone. So it's not that it's just cortisol, but cortisol, when cortisol then sets off another whole lot of different hormonal functions, which then help your mind and brain and body to work together in the most effective way so that you can concentrate and you can learn. So it kind of sets the motion of learning into flow for the day. So adults generally are, um, our cortisol is at a level where we can actually learn 
at around about 6, 7 in the morning. But with children, it's at about 8, 9, 10, depending on what age they are. So we are putting kids in school sometimes at 7.40 in the morning, and the first lesson is math. And they don't even have enough cortisol to be able to concentrate because, as I said, the cortisol then affects a bunch of other stuff, and we get hormones that aren't being released correctly. So you, they're not ready to learn. So they're under incredible stress. So they're sitting in that class, and their biology is not enabling them to focus that well yet. So there's an internal cognitive war, I mean an internal war going on in their neurophysiology and that then makes them feel uncomfortable and that's confusing for them. And yet they're now battling to focus and concentrate so maybe they're not doing so well. And they're battling with maths and whatever. And that, then that lesson, they get yelled at. And then they go to the next class and they're now anxious from that session. And they've got to enter into the next session with, ang- with feeling on edge and anxious. And so the day goes on. And yes, maybe this sounds like an exaggeration, but it actually isn't. There's a, a, there is so much research showing that we've got to change this, but we're not really changing it. There are some schools that are amazing that have really already dived in and some education systems that are really diving in and, and um, doing, making changes. But 30 years ago, I used to get called into schools to go and help restructure the system so that the kids could learn to learn better and manage their emotions. Now I get, often get called in to help with de-escalating crises in a classroom because these kids are suicidal and, and not coping and their emotions have become like a priority. So when I do education conferences, may, um, what I used to get asked to teach was how to help teachers deliver information in a more effective way and how to help students to learn how to learn. Now it's much more of how do we help manage mental health. How are we helping manage these kids that they you know, deal with all these crises? And it's not like you can put some Band-Aid on. You have to change the whole system. You have to teach it every single day, and you have to model it. So you can't just do it now and then. So we have to change the, 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 the system. We all need protein. It is important for so many biological functions, including bone health, satiety, our ability to think and build memory, and our mental well-being. And as we go through life, protein needs change. So it's important to choose a mix for different life stages and seasons. This is why I'm a big fan of Ritual's Essential Protein. It's a delicious plant-based protein offered in three premium formulations for distinct life stages and unique nutrient needs. And made with the same high standards approach and commitment to traceability that Ritual is known for. I add their essential protein for 50 plus to water every day for a quick smoothie and post-workout recovery. I also love adding some cold brew to make my morning pick-me-up. It's so delicious and with their flexible and easy to use subscription service, I never have to worry about not getting enough protein. I especially love that Ritual's Essential Protein adds the calcium I need to my diet, helping me to build and maintain muscle mass for healthy, active aging. With Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you also know the what, the how and the why of every labeled ingredient. They use delicious handcrafted vanilla flavor from sustainably harvested Madagascar vanilla bean extract, as well as other sustainably sourced ingredients like sustainably grown peas farmed right here in the USA. Made with a complete amino acid profile for daily support, Ritual is packed with 20 grams of proteins per serving with no added sugar or sugar alcohols. Indeed, all their protein powders are also soy-free, gluten-free and non-GMO. Are you ready to shake up your protein ritual? My listeners get 10% off during their first three months at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Ritual even offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. 
Just visit ritual.com forward slash Dr. Leaf today for 10% off your first three months. The link and details will be in the show notes. When I say change the system, we can all throw up our hands and say, how on earth do we do that? Of course, it's a very difficult thing to do. But a change begins with you making a change in yourself. And I'm jumping ahead to the solution, but it's worthwhile. Because when you manage your own mental health, you then model that for the child, whether you're the parent or the teacher or whether you both. So when you can manage, when they see you managing your mental health, then they then are getting a model for, oh, adults also battle. And adults also can cry or get mad. And they don't go hide behind a door and pretend nothing's happened. They actually are saying they feel sad because of. So it's okay for me to say I'm sad because of. So if we think we've got to like be this, you know, this stoic whatever, that you never show your emotions to your kids or you've got to always be in control, it's a lie. Because you're not always in control. Anyone here always in control? Anyone in here never depressed or anxious? But how many times in front of our kids have we not explained why we're going through something? Do you know that a child, even a teenager, when you're in a state, even a young adult, you're the parent. When you're a parent and you are in an emotional kind of bind for some reason or whatever, and you don't explain that, and it comes out in your frustration with them, maybe you get irritated or you get snappy or you get withdrawn or you're just not there and because you, you, your mind's so caught up with the issue, they will immediately think they've done something wrong. They're the bad person. And so they will internalize it and it will affect their value system and their identity. And if that happens a lot, your children's identity is getting shot. And that's not a good thing. As we spoke about last night, we spoke a lot about identity. The value that they place on themselves becomes affected. So we need to change that. That's why the story that I told last night about identity, we, I used to, I'm going to quickly tell it again because just very briefly, but I was training a group of teachers back in South Africa and I was talking about identity and the profiles that um, you can use to help identify identity, the perfect you book, that's what I was teaching from, and the Think, Learn, Succeed book, and one teacher stood up and said, Dr. Leaf, I don't believe that, any, that everyone's unique and everyone's brilliant. Um, because every single person can do something that no one else can do. Every single person in this room, you're brilliant. You can do something that I can't do or that anyone else can't do. And it's, comp- it's part of your uniqueness. And I was teaching this concept and this teacher said, sorry, Dr. Leaf, you're wrong. There's a child in my class who's so stupid. There's no ways they're brilliant. There's no ways that they're unique. And they went on. And one of the, uh, the other colleagues stood up and said, sir, that child can do something that you can't do. And it's your responsibility to help them find that and for you to activate that in them. It changed my life completely, that statement. And that's why I always use that story. And this is what we've got to recognize, that that child can do something that you can't do. It's brilliant. It's unique. They're a piece of the puzzle of humanity, and humanity needs them. But who's telling them that? Who's, who's helping them understand that? Because it's not just words. It's also the actions. It's also the whole way that we structure society because they're feeling these demands, but they can't express it. They don't know how to understand, you know, I'm supposed to be this, and I'm supposed to be that, and I'm supposed to be this, and I, and I feel this, but I don't know what I'm feeling because I don't have the words to be able to express it, and so it can accumulate and build up. 
And that's why we see the increase in suicide and the increase in extreme states that are being labeled and diagnosed and medicated. So instead of now we've got a child who's already battling, now the child's maybe been abused or been whatever combination of stuff, and now they're battling at school and they become difficult at school and they're aggressive towards others, so they get put on medications and the medications mess with their brain because psychotropics mess with the brain dramatically when you are basically growing at, at any stage, but when you're in your developmental years, it's really dramatic. And then other symptoms start manifesting and that poor child is labeled and then that they label, when you label a child and an adult labels a child and says, you are X, that's what they believe. So that's what they live into. That's what they build into their brain. That's my value. This is what I am. And that then impacts all other areas of their life. So we, we need to be aware of this. And even back down, coming all the way back to the cortisol slide that we had up a few moments ago, normal diurnal cortisol rhythms um, is high directly after waking up and steadily decreases through the day. However, it appears cortisol doesn't decrease in the way that it should during the current traditional school day. So the way the school day has been structured has, is actually messing with our children's cortisol natural cortisol cycle and that is not good for your heart it's not good for your mind it's not good for your brain and if that's happening a lot which is happening through their school day and through their school years these are affecting our children so these um, these are not the only reasons but these are some major reasons children have a spike in cortisol much later in the day than adults so the best time for a child to be educated is from between 11 to 5 p.m. 5 6 p.m. most schools are start around about 7:40 8 o'clock in the morning now the, and then schools are putting harsh demands on children. What is emphasized in schools? Homework demands and timing of when homework is supposed to be done does not align with the best time for children and adolescents' focused attention. Value placed on, there's value placed on certain subjects. So science, math are seen as more important or better than arts and that kind of thing. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a, almost a, like a moralizing of subjects. So if you do science and math, you're the clever kid. If you can't do science and math, there's something wrong with you. You know, these are the messages that we're sending our children. A sole focus on intellectual and academic subjects as being valuable. So when you are the artist, you're not as valuable is the message that our children are getting given as the child who's good at maths and science. And so we also focusing then so much on those that we're not working, as I mentioned, on the emotional development of life skills. There's a lack of adequate holistic mental health care. There's a lack of services. On average, in, in public schools, one counselor is responsible for 500 students. When I was started work as a new therapist, I was put in, worked in the school system. I was given 11 schools to look after, and there were 1,000 kids in each school. How am I supposed to look after 11,000 kids? You know, this is the kind of, and that was then, it's even worse now. So, you know, what I did was I ended up training groups of teachers and helping teachers to help themselves and then they help kids and I sort of ran workshops like that so I could, we could reach the children through the teachers. But that's not an ideal situation. There's not, there's not sufficient mental health care and counselling opportunities for kids. We should have full-time counsellors. These kids need access to counselling whenever they need it. We can bring in, we can, we, and I know they're not enough professionally trained people to address all these needs, but we need to train more counsellors and more therapists. In the meantime, there's a whole bunch of very wise people. Look around. You're wise. You're an adult. Have you got some time to go donate to your children's school and maybe help with mental health? 
maybe you're retired and you kind of don't have something, you know, you maybe want some more stuff to do. There's a lot of research showing how the, the sort of granny system or grandparent model of par- grandparents coming back into the school and facilitating or helping the teacher with these large groups of these large classrooms and helping them to deal with the children that are maybe lagging behind a little or the ones that get really upset, they can take them out and talk to them. Just natural life skills. Whether you are a breakfast person or prefer eating breakfast for dinner, making your meals count for both your brain and body is important. What we eat can affect how we think just as much as how we think can affect what we eat. One of my favorite ways to enjoy my food and get the nutrition my brain and body craves is with Catalina Crunch, a yummy cereal that is high protein, zero sugar, keto friendly and low carb. They've got eight crave worthy flavors to choose from cinnamon toast, dark chocolate, chocolate peanut butter, chocolate banana, honey graham, fruity, maple waffle and mint chocolate. I personally love the honey graham flavor with a splash of coconut milk and cream in the morning. But all these cereals are also really delicious with a spoon of creamy yogurt or ice cream for dessert after a meal. My husband loves the maple waffle cereal on top of his vanilla ice cream. Every flavor is delicious on its own, but you can also try mixing them together for some truly mouth-watering combos. But don't be surprised if you fall in love with all of them. Catalina Crunch Cereal has the crunch you crave without any empty carbs. Plus, it packs a whopping 11 grams of plant-based protein and 9 grams of fiber per serving. And all these cereals are gluten-free, grain-free and non-GMO. Catalina Crunch uses only real ingredients, nothing artificial. No wonder they have over 10 thousand five-star reviews see why catalina crunch cereal is the fastest growing cereal brand in america just go to catalinacrunch.com forward slash dr lee for 15 percent of your first order plus free shipping that's catalinacrunch.com slash dr leaf not sure which flavor to start with try a variety pack and check out their delicious cookies and snack mixes while you're at it again that's catalinacrunch.com forward slash dr lee for 15 percent of your first order plus free shipping the link and details will be in the show notes in Zimbabwe, where I was born, they have one of the most effective mental health systems, and but that mental health system has been suppressed. But here's the story: a study, research study, was done by University of um, the King's College in London and Harvard, a combined study on a interesting area, an interesting group of people in Zimbabwe where they called, there was this famous granny who used to sit on a log in one of the tribes and anyone who had issues went and sat next to granny and told granny their problems. And granny listened and helped them to ask a few questions and helped them to see things from a different perspective. It was phenomenal. It was so powerful that more, this was this was this concept was taken into as many areas as possible in Zimbabwe and the results of um, in reaching the 11 million people that there were when the study was done um, in, in, the, in that, those particular areas was incredibly effective. It was a model that worked and it was using, it wasn't using professionals. There were professionals that then helped the grannies as they grew the program but it was, they were reaching thousands of people through a very effective system. So, I mean, there's one of these, quite a lot of research around that um, that area. So, if you look, move on, oopsie, according to researchers, children are increasingly prescribed multiple different psychiatric medications, a practice known as polypharmacy, which is absolutely frightening how many medications some kids are on. They are giving kids as young as two and even younger Antidepressants, which are not even safe for adults, let alone for children, and then not one because that has side effects, so they give another. And they're being 
if the, if the drugs make them re- react which they will, then they just stop them. And you can't just stop someone when you're on an antidepressant. Your brain has changed, so you need time to withdraw. And it has to be done very slowly and very carefully. But there's a, that's not really happening. So there's a lack of education on medication and a lot of incorrect science that the medication fixes the problem. It doesn't fix the problem. We've got to sit down with our kids and we've got to help them learn how to learn. We've got to help them learn how to manage their emotions. The use of antipsychotics in children has grown significantly since 1999. Most concerningly, even children between the ages of zero and four are receiving polypharmacy regimens. The number of U.S. youth treated with psychotropic polypharmacy increased from, um, well, there's the the percentage, an increase of over 180%. The most common drug class being prescribed, though, was stimulants like Adderall and Ritalin, which peaked in 2005 to 2010. Time period at 82.1%. It fell down a little bit recently. So it's just like give a medication. It's not the solution. We have to take time to work with our kids. What happens in a child's mind? When a toxic thought enters in the child's mind, they create the same stress response as adults, the same things happening, mind into brain into body, the things you've been hearing me teach. They also build toxic thoughts. But the difference is is that they don't have a fully developed brain yet. They don't have a fully developed body yet. Your brain grows for the rest of your life, but it goes through definite periods of development. And it takes up to the age of 24 for the brain to kind of be in a place where it is kind of an adult brain. So at every stage, it's very vulnerable. So for example, a child of under 12, their brain, the nerve networks in the brain are are not fully myelinated. And myelination is um, basically like a fatty substance on the outside of the neurons and the dendrites. And if it's not fully, it's it's like taking the wires that I've got here and taking the insulation off and touching those wires, you get a shock. So Our kids don't have this protection developed. It's developing. It takes a long time to develop. And that's just one of the things. The connections connections have not been set up in place. So as the mind is moving through the brain, they don't have all their wisdom in place yet. They're learning still. So it's a a time we really need to protect the brain. So emotions, I mean, dealing holistically with a child, helping a child to understand what they're going through and what they're feeling is vital to not create more damage inside the brain. So it's, um, it's no wonder that the brain develops for 18 years and then matures over a lifetime, 18 to 24 years. That should have been in there. My apologies. Bullet point number one. It's no wonder that researchers argue that depression in youth between the ages of 10 and 24 is both a leading cause of stress and possible risk factor for future diseases and impairment. There is a ton of research between early childhood experiences and disease in later life. It's, it's not just correlative, it's causative. There's a very established link. You've probably heard of adverse child experiences, ACEs. There's a lot of research showing that early childhood experiences that are not managed, if you don't teach your child how to manage their emotions, you're setting them up for physical issues later on in life. Gen Z is, at the most, is one of the most vulnerable, vulnerable populations at the moment. They are in that category that I mentioned earlier on in one of the lectures of dying 28 to 25 years younger than they should. They at the most risk. The next risk, risk group is 25 to 64. Okay? So in other words, we have, we have a generation of children coming through that 
potentially, and I will give you the good news after this very scary statistic, they will probably die 20 to 25 years, 8 to 25 years younger than what you will die. So our next, our kids, and it's our fault. We have to, as the adults in the house, we have to look at how we are running our own lives. We have to help our children manage their emotions, and we have to speak up for our children, and we have to fight for the system to change. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.